1: Hi, I'm Michelle Ward. As a mom, I've looked my children in the eyes with love and hoped I can lead them toward a bright, wonderful future. But as a neurocriminologist who's been studying violent crime for the last 20 years, I've also quietly hoped that at the very least, I'm not raising a future serial killer. And if you can relate to that taboo thought, congratulations. You've just found your new favorite podcast. This is how not to raise a serial killer. Rachel, hi. Thank you for coming back to How Not to Raise a Serial Killer. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. It's my pleasure. Going on to your podcast was one of my favorite things to decide if people were looking at dating profiles and deciding whether or not it was Prince Charming or a serial (laughs) killer and getting to swipe accordingly. We're doing kind of what we did on your podcast. We're going to do on this one. You know, Rachel has a podcast called Love Before 100. And maybe you can give a little background on what that is, Rachel.
0: It's um, essentially, I call it a combination of sex in the city meets jackass where I have a list of things that I'm going to do to find love and Michelle was so gracious to come on and assist me in creating a dating app profile and then also looking for serial killers and I got a lot of good feedback on that episode saying how helpful it was to know what we're looking for. So I'm excited to kind of expand upon that in your episode today when we look at this serial killer.
1: Rachel's background, Rachel's been on my show before, and she is an attorney, she is a life coach, and now she's a podcaster, and she's also a mom of two. So she can help me come at this from several different angles, especially since her podcast is about dating apps, and that's what we're going to dive into. Rachel, today we're going to cover a case that you actually brought to me, um, somebody named Khalil Wheeler Weaver. This episode should be required listening for anybody who's been dating apps because it's scary as shit. There's always the age-old question when meeting someone on an online dating app. You're not a serial killer, right? And you're kind of joking, but at the same time, you've seen enough Catfish and Dateline episodes to feel like you really actually need to ask that question. And not that they're going to say, yes, I am, but you kind of need to throw it out there like, okay, I'm a little nervous because you are a total stranger. But, you know, to be fair, it, it is a dating app. You're signing up to meet a total stranger and they could possibly be a murderer. I mean, you truly never know. I literally was at coffee recently with a friend of mine and her friend explained that she was on a dating app and she was going to meet this guy that night and she just, she rarely does this, but she decided to do like a people search on him he's convicted murderer. I'm like, oh my gosh, you've got to go on my friend Rachel's show. <laughs> I don't think she wants to. I think she's scared. Those exact words, you're not a serial killer, are you, were spoken by a girl named Sarah Butler and she is a victim in today's case. And she said this when she was jokingly flirting with a potential date on an app called Tagged. And this is, you know, a typical online dating app meant to flirt, chat, date, meet new people. What they all say they're doing. Sarah was one of four women to match with serial killer Khalil Wheeler Weaver. The first victim being 19-year-old Robin West. And the case all began when a house fire was revealed to be a mere cover-up for a rape and a murder. And it eventually led to the discovery of a missing woman's body. It's September 1st, 2016, and an abandoned building in New Jersey goes up in flames. And only after putting out the fire did police and firefighters find this unexpected discovery. It's here that they locate the body of missing woman, Robin West. Robin reportedly worked as a sex worker out of a hotel in Union Township and originated from Chester, Pennsylvania. And Robin had a tough upbringing as a child. She grew up with her and her two older brothers, moving in and out of treatment facilities for children with both behavioral and mental health issues. And she was described as adventurous, strong-minded, and she had a huge love for singing, and she even sang in her local church. But Robin ends up leaving home at the age of 18, and she works as an exotic dancer and sex worker in Philadelphia. Then in late August, Robin and her friend visit New Jersey to celebrate Robin's 20th birthday. And they're only going to stay a few nights. And it's during this trip, while walking back to the house after an outing, A car pulls up to both of them. Inside the car, a man points to Robin and asks her to join him inside. At first, Robin's parents don't panic that she's gone. She does this sometimes, and they won't hear from her for a day or two. It's not totally unusual. The family wants to throw her a party, however, because it is her 20th birthday, and it's a milestone. And she'd even bought herself a new white lace dress for the occasion, and she posted it. She models it on Facebook. But finally, after a week of not hearing from Robin, the family reports her missing. Then another week goes by and Robin's mom calls her father and says, they found Robin. And her father gets excited and says, "Okay, let's put gas in the car. Let's go get her. And then the moment no parent ever wants to hear or say, Robin's mom replies, no, they found her body. The West family then has to read the news titles that berate their daughter, calling her Teenage Philadelphia Hooker and Philadelphia Escort Found Dead. The West family has to figure out who did this and why it happened. You know, whenever you see these types of titles, it's infuriating. You don't, you know, journalists aren't thinking of the victim's families. And it also does something to the reader. There's an implicit bias, and when you introduce a victim with that title... It shifts everything from the investigation to sentencing. It happens. And it's always distressing to me that journalism has resorted to that type of sensationalism. It doesn't matter what she did for a living. But even worse, the cops question Khalil, knowing he is one of the last people Robin had seen. And he tells them that all he did was go out to lunch with her and then he dropped her off at home later that evening just a few houses down from the abandoned home that was set on fire. His alibi doesn't raise any eyebrows or ruffle any feathers, so the cops go on their way, and he gets away with it. Then, on October 22nd, 2016, the next victim appears... 33-year-old Joanne Brown is homeless when she meets Khalil, and she's also battling severe mental illness. She's last seen sometime in October getting into Khalil's car, and then found a few months later in an abandoned home with her mouth taped shut. Eerily, Joanne's body is found on December 5th, 2016, in a vacant home just a few houses down from where Robin's body was discarded. Khalil Wheeler Weaver had duct taped her mouth shut, strangled her, and then set fire to her body by torching the vacant home. After murdering Joanne, he calls her friend, just breathing into the phone, not saying a word. And then he hangs up and he never reaches out again. His next victim is Tiffany Taylor, who luckily makes it out alive after her encounter with Khalil Wheeler Weaver. Having grown up in public housing in New Jersey City, Tiffany saw more than her fair share of violence, drugs, and abuse. She knew what she was doing. And as a teenager, Tiffany recalls witnessing multiple murders, including two of her past boyfriends. So, at the age of 18, Tiffany attends college in Orlando, and she studies music and psychology. But two years into her college, she moves back to New Jersey when she becomes pregnant. And after struggling to find a steady job, Tiffany becomes a sex worker. Tiffany meets Khalil through a mutual friend in 2016. He's only 20 years old at the time, and he's a decade younger than Tiffany. And Tiffany Khalil and Tiffany's best friend play video games and hang out at his house. Now, at some point in the evening, and then it goes on further... Khalil begins to beg Tiffany to have sex with him. She doesn't say yes to this. Tiffany thought he was too young, and she didn't want to get involved with him. The incessant texts and calls begin, and they just don't stop. So Tiffany Taylor eventually and unexpectedly agrees. But bear with me for a second, because the story goes a little bit sideways here. Tiffany isn't a straight shooter herself, in particular when it comes to her sex work. She has an M.O. when dealing with her johns. She promises sex, but then she actually robs them. Unknown to Khalil, her plan is to simply rob him and leave. And she's done it before. She'll do it again. In April 2016, Tiffany arrives at his home and he gives her $200. Tiffany then claims that she has left something in her car and she runs out and never returns. About six months go by when Tiffany begins receiving texts from a cell number she doesn't recognize. She's pregnant with her second child and working odd jobs for her friend at the Ritz Motel to make ends meet. The random number continues to beg for sex. But Tiffany continues to say no and even changes her number to avoid the aggressive pleas. Somehow, the stranger finds her new number and continues to text her so frequently that eventually, Tiffany agrees to meet him at the hotel if for nothing else to convince him to go away. of a very cold night that night, which could have made this a little less unnerving. But the stranger shows up in a ski mask. Still, Tiffany lets him into her car that she's borrowed from her friend. And eventually, this masked stranger asks Tiffany to pull over, which she does. And that is the last moment she remembers because as soon as she pulls the car off the road, the man delivers a blow to the back of her head, knocking her unconscious. When Tiffany wakes up, She's handcuffed in the back of the car and in a chokehold as the stranger sexually assaults her. He has wrapped her head in duct tape, further restricting her breathing. Then he takes off his ski mask and reveals himself as Khalil Wheeler Weaver. Tiffany screams. She begs for her life. She's telling Wheeler Weaver that she's pregnant. And he responds with, I know. And Taylor says she knew for sure at that moment he was going to kill her. Tiffany has street smarts, and she knows she has to think fast. And through the tears, she begs for Khalil to loosen the handcuffs just a little bit. And when he agrees to do it, Tiffany realizes that she can outsmart him more. So she keeps talking. Tiffany reminds him that their entire conversation is stored on her phone, and that phone is back at the motel. And she lets him know that, hey, all of that information is going to incriminate you. It's going to connect you with me. So suddenly, nervous, Khalil starts the car and heads back to the motel, but not before victimizing himself, saying, nobody likes me. Why do I have to pay for a girl to show me a good time and give me attention? So he's now the victim in this rape, potential murder situation. As they arrive back to the hotel, Tiffany slips her hands out of the handcuff. So she's kind of double-jointed and flexible, but she, she keeps up the ruse So Khalil rips the duct tape from her face, and he doesn't know about the handcuffs. So together they walk to her motel room, and she's still wearing them, or he thinks she does. And they get there, and Tiffany kicks the door, and her friend's there. So her friend opens it. Tiffany runs inside, slams the door behind her, because her hands are free, and locks the door, leaving Khalil outside, and he runs. He runs from the scene. He knows he's busted now. Tiffany even texts Khalil a few minutes later, claiming she won't call the police if he returns her friend's car keys. She's obviously lying. She's already called the police. But what's even crazier is Khalil does come back, drops her keys on the stairs in front of the building security, and runs. So when the police enter the motel, Tiffany's tells them everything, how Khalil sexually assaulted her, kidnapped her, and attempted to kill her. She tells them his name, shows them her phone with proof of the meeting, And she's still wearing the damn handcuffs. So this chick's a badass. She knows that she's up against their inherent bias against sex workers, but she doesn't care. She knows she can prove that she was violently raped and it was planned. Or she thinks. Instead, as we've seen over and over again, the cops don't believe her. They actually threaten to arrest her for prostitution. Despite all of the evidence Tiffany presents to the police, they won't believe her. And they have blood on their hands because one week later, Khalil Wheeler-Weaver kills his next victim, 20-year-old Sarah Butler. Sarah is a college student in her second year of school, and she's on the school's dance team. And over the summer, she works as a lifeguard at the YMCA. She's described as cheerful, energetic, and bubbly, but was currently going through a rough patch. So during her freshman year, she had to commute to school, and that can be tough. But her sophomore year, she's excited because she gets to stay on campus. But unfortunately, she starts to have trouble making friends, and she also has problems with her roommate. She doesn't get along with her roommate. And it's during this lonely period that she downloads uh, Tagged. She meets somebody named Lil Rock and exchanges multiple texts back and forth. And it's at this point when Khalil texts her and says he would pay her $500 for sex, and then she becomes nervous. She texts him back, You're not a serial killer, right? And despite her intuition, Sarah drives her family's car to meet him, and she is never seen again. Her body is, though. It's found under a pile of leaves and sticks in Eagle Rock Park. Sarah was brutally strangled to death. The discovery was a horrible moment, but it is a much-needed answer to the burning question of what happened to Sarah. You see, it wasn't law enforcement who found Sarah. It was her sisters and her friends doing a job that no one else seemed to be able to do. On their own, like a vigilante search team, they find the family car. Then, in a moment of clever ingenuity, they create a profile on the app tagged to try to lure her killer. They follow the trail that led Sarah to Lil Yat Rock and decide it's their mission to find him untagged. And that's exactly what they do. Just 10 days later, Khalil shows up to a meetup with what he assumes would be his next victim. But luckily, the girls worked with the police and the whole thing is just a brilliant setup. Bravo, ladies. Don't fuck with these sisters and their friends. Khalil never thought he would get caught. And in that arrogance, he leaves ample amount of evidence on his phone. Even more damning evidence arises after police peruse his Google searches. And those included date rape drugs and how to create homemade poisons to kill humans. His phone records reveal that he was Joanne's last conversation before she went missing. And the records even place him at the home where he discarded her body. Two smartphones are found on his desk at his home and a third stashed away in his mattress. Bingo, he's busted. His biggest error was believing that people who may be struggling at the time, whether it be with their mental health, money, homing problems, that they would be alone in this world. And Sarah wasn't. And it's this sisterhood behind her that prevents the next girl from meeting this unimaginable fate. Khalil Wheeler Weaver is sentenced to 160 years for murdering three women in 2016, desecrating their remains, and brutally raping another victim who escaped his attempted murder. His victims were all women, most of them marginalized by society. And Khalil is now living the rest of his life behind bars. Bye bye asshole. All right, Rachel. Is that going to change how you approach dating apps? That
0: is horrifying. I was, like... As a mother, each time you referenced the girls being found, I just, my heart dropped into my stomach. I mean, I can't imagine being a parent of a daughter. Mm -mm. My my children are both boys, and obviously those things can happen to, to boys as well, men as well, but just listening, I thought, how horrifying. But, or and, it's amazing how the friends and family stepped in, I mean, as anyone would, For a loved one to try to figure out what happened, like, how how can we bring the killer to justice?
1: What really struck me about this case is that the story really brings two issues to the surface. One, we're learning how predators are using this new hunting tool to find their prey. And two, how can we teach and fortify our children against these predators? I dug in a little bit and I didn't have to go far. There's a large-scale study out of BYU, Brigham Young University, and it highlights this dark underbelly of online dating. There is a shocking prevalence of predators using dating apps as hunting grounds for their next victims. And you know, the study was all born from an observed uptick in assaults involving online dating. People were coming into the emergency room saying they'd been sexually assaulted by somebody they met online. So they knew that there was something happening, but the results of the study shocked everyone. So what they did is they used sexual assault medical charts from the BYU nursing teams between 2017 and 2020. It revealed, get this, that 14% of the nearly 2,000 acquaintance rapes were from first meetings on dating apps. We're not talking about the grab off the street, drag down a dark alley and rape. Those are actually quite rare. This, this type of acquaintance rape is how the majority of rapes occur. Someone lures you into what seems like a potentially normal or safe situation, and then they strike. But, Rachel, naively, I thought dating app violence was quite rare. It's something that would make the news. These are available heuristics. They're not something happening regularly. But I am wrong. And if this statistic weren't shocking enough, the study unearthed another unexpected and altogether harrowing Fact about these predators, they target victims who have mental illness or other vulnerabilities. Mm. They know what they're doing. And what's more, the nature of these acquaintance rapes is entirely more violent than the other types of acquaintance rapes. That's so scary to me. It's already widely known that women with mental illnesses are far more likely to become victims of sexual assault, to the tune of 47%. But brace yourself for this next troubling statistic— This study showed a whopping 60% of those whose rape was a result of a first meetup on a dating app suffered from a mental illness. I want to pause here for a second. I'm not saying they put schizophrenia in their tagline. I'm not saying they're, they're talking about their major depression in their description. These predators are picking up on it. They're figuring it out from the dating profiles.
0: Well... I would say that they're probably figuring it out from the chats too, because one of the things Mm. that I know happens as a participant in dating app conversations is that, and usually, or in my experience, it's, it's this creating this sense of false intimacy, which lends people, many people to create a notion of a relationship. And usually it ends up just with like a heartbreak, in this scenario that we're talking about, it ends up obviously much more serious, and much more dangerous. But the sense is the false intimacy is created by – like I've had men say, like, I've cried twice this week, right? They, they will, and I believe, initiate a conversation where they're vulnerable so then uh-huh. they can test the waters with a response back – you, I cried. This I cried too. I feel lonely. Or you know, they'll say, "How's this dating app working out for you?" Like you know, have you had any success? So you could easily say, "No." Like you know, I'm I'm tired of this. I'm ready to find my person, and it can take you down the path of very what seems normal, right? You wouldn't, it wouldn't be a yeah. red flag to have somebody interested in how your mental health is around dating because it's such a lonely experience. It's a frustrating experience. You get your heart stomped on many times. Mm-hmm. So it would be natural. And it has been where people will say to me, you know, like, how's this going for you? Or what do you find most frustrating? So it almost seems normal that someone would be fishing for information about
1: your mental health. I'm wrong it's not necessarily in the profile it's they've learned how to coax and groom you into opening up and then they can they can pinpoint the vulnerability
0: well yeah i mean that's definitely something that is that i'm aware of happening but and typically h- how i'm aware of it happening is because that's how they get you to sleep with them early on or whatever Fair. and then they ghost or they leave or whatever it's not as sinister as what we're talking about but it would i mean essentially it's the same kind of uh, strategy.
1: The strategy is the same, but rather than just trying to get sex, which a lot of people do on these dating apps, these are actual killers. They're predators who are probably looking for sex and killing. This turns everything I thought kind of on its head because it's the norm. That's how people meet right now. You don't necessarily, I and mean, sometimes you meet like through friends or, you know, friend or meet at a bar, but everyone I know right now who is involved with somebody more recently isn't married and is involved, it's online. It leads me to wonder what's coming first. So, is a person who's struggling with mental health, do you think that maybe they fail to see some of the warning signs, or is it just that the predator knows something or about victimology and just selects them based on something like vulnerability due to mental health?
0: I think it could be either, but I think it's more likely just um, commonplace out there. It's so easy to strike up a conversation and get someone to open up. People feel lonely. When you feel lonely, you think maybe if I get a partner that will alleviate some of my loneliness. So then you download an app because that's easy. It's a lot easier than meeting someone out these days. So it it like kind of leads you down the path of I feel lonely. Here's where I'm going to go. And I'm going to open up to a stranger because I'm craving connection. And they're asking me questions about me. I want to feel seen and heard and understood. And the more that happens, the more you open up. I mean, it's just, again, it's in some instances, it's just different levels of predatory behavior, Mm -hmm. depending on what the target is.
1: It's brilliant what you're saying. And in fact, one of the researchers in the study named Julie Valentine, she said something very similar to that. She says, in a dating app, people can shape themselves however they want to appeal to vulnerable victims. So like you're saying, they can be like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling unwanted or unloved or lonely, which, as we know, that's one of the best ways to parallel somebody is one of the best ways to get them to open up. And then those with mental illnesses like depression may be more susceptible to a predator who might, for example, flatter them profusely and then mm-hmm. persuade them to meet up in person.
0: Also, you come off, a, I've, I've actually had this happen where I've talked with someone like all night long and <laughs> then I meet them and they are nothing like the the banter and because there's a delayed response when you're texting a message to someone you can think of something clever you can google something you can have a conversation where you put yourself to seem like a totally different person but when you have inter live interaction with someone they don't have google at the ready where they're about to respond they don't they don't have the time you know how many times have you had a conversation with someone and then you walk away and you think of the perfect retort to what they said but it's too late on a dating app, you always have that time to come up with the perfect retort. So you show up however, you know you can show up in a certain way and then the person on the other end starts making a story about who they're interacting with. I had a, a guy just recently tell me how much he liked me and we hadn't talked on the phone. We hadn't done anything. He looked at my pictures. He he looked at my chat. And I'm thinking, I could be like an 80-year-old man that just put <laughs> up nice pictures and I'm having a conversation with you. You don't like me. You don't know me. You like the story you've created about me and, you know, who who I am to you in this conversation. You know, you feel seen or you feel excited or whatever you feel. So I could see somebody that's not used to getting attention, not used to getting, not feeling hopeful that there's someone out there in the world that's gonna care about them. It sounds like at least one of the victims you mentioned, their fam, her family, I think it was one of the, the first sex worker you mentioned, her family was planning a birthday party for her. So she actually right. did come from a family that that had that outpouring mm-hmm. of love. But probably, you know, not all of those women did. And so to have somebody show up and show interest in you, it's kind of exciting. And it would make sense that you wouldn't have your guard up to the extent where you might think something was off, especially if you're just chatting, like texting, basically.
1: No, that makes so much sense. And it's, I've fallen in love via text before, like somebody who's super clever and witty. And I love clever discourse, somebody who can outwit me, somebody who comes up with the punchline before I do. Mm-hmm. But then I meet them in real life. I'm like, why aren't you nearly as funny as you were on <laughs> Instant Messenger <laughs> yeah. or whatever AOL I was using at the time? I'm like, damn it, you're not cute enough to make up for the fact that you're not as funny in real life. I mean, humor is important. And I go back and forth on these dating apps and I talk to you about it, you know, before because it's in this line of work. You're never going to find me going anywhere with a stranger. Yeah. But millions of people do it every day on these dating apps and they're, they're fine. They're fine. You know, everyone used to hitchhike until, you know, we had people who preyed on hitchhikers and in the 70s. And then we don't hitchhike anymore. We don't do it anymore. And I'm wondering if we're going to see some sort of pendulum swing when it comes to online dating. Are we going to see, oh, gosh, are are our grandchildren going to say, I can't believe grandma would go out with strangers and we'll say, oh, no, no, it's just like hitchhiking. Everybody did it back then. Are we going to, as we collect data, are we going to see that it it isn't safe? I mean, what is your experience? Because you've gone on a lot of these dates and you haven't ever had anybody attack you.
0: No, but I mean, you know, being a former attorney and just basically super paranoid as it is, (laughs) um, usually I have uh, precautions in place. But it's funny because you'll see these memes where they'll talk about your parents tell you not to get in a car with a stranger, but then we have Uber. So Uber has actually kind of gotten into the brain where you're like, well, I get into the cars with strangers all the time. I never, except for two instances, have gotten in the car. I never have them pick me up at my house. They don't know my address. They don't know my last name. They don't have my real phone number, you know, because you could Google based on your phone number all sorts of stuff. So I went in the car with someone recently because I knew him from high school, like I knew of him. He was a year older than me. But at the end of the date, it it definitely put me in the position where he felt more comfortable leaning in to kiss me versus Mm. if I was not. And I thought getting in the car really does make you more vulnerable. You're in a small space. And the only other time I did it, I was honestly so eager. I think it was my first date ever after a divorce and i was in france and this guy said i'm here i'll pick you up and i had i mean i had two women that were coming with me on the date yeah. to to protect me watch me like chaperones and i got in his car and the whole time i had my hand on the handle like I, we were just driving up the hill to a a bar very you know short distance but i had my hand on the handle and i was ready to jump out that's how i approach dates or any of those kinds of things is i'm going to assume you're a serial killer Until you show me that you're not kind of like you had talked about in my podcast to some degree, right? If there's any red flags in your profile, I'm probably not going to swipe on you. If there's any red flags on your in our chat, I'm probably going to unmatch you if there's any red flags, you know, in as we progress. I'm going to take the necessary, you know, steps, good or bad. I'm not going to let my guard down very easily. And I don't know that most people walk through life that way. I hope they don't because it's it's not good for building relationships, but it yeah. is good for um, personal safety. So I am hoping that the pendulum swings back the other way where people really realize, you know, there is a lot of mental illness. There are a lot Mm -hmm. of people hurting. There are, there are evil people out there and, Mm -hmm. um, we have to protect ourselves and we have to protect our loved ones from, you know, from that to the degree that we can while still staying open to love and connect. I mean, it's just this crazy kind of duality of protecting yourself, but also giving people the benefit of doubt and seeing that there are good people in the world. And, um, But in the dating world, it's definitely scary. Um, And the dating app, you know, I've seen a lot of people playfully call it people shopping, online people shopping, (laughs) right? And I mean, if I was a serial killer that is where I would go to find people like fish in a barrel situation they're all there they want to meet you I mean same thing it's the same exact reason if you're single that's where you go it's a lot easier than walking the aisles at the supermarket trying to find someone not wearing a a wedding ring who might be married
1: and Mm -hmm. just is
0: not wearing his wedding ring you know
1: I don't think people are as cautious as you are at least a lot of people I know who are on dating apps, I mean, there's a lot of sex on the first date, and I have no judgment about that. I mean, everybody should enjoy sex. I have no feelings about that. But the only feeling I have when a friend tells me they met somebody on a, a dating app and went home and slept with them is, I do you know it's not a serial killer? I mean, serial killers are relatively rare. I mean, they're not relatively rare. They're rare. But killers aren't that rare in general. Like, you know, you catch somebody during a psychotic break or during a drug-fueled moment of psychosis or somebody who just gets a little kinky in sex and realizes they hurt you and then they kill you to get rid. I don't know. I can come up with a million scenarios that probably don't happen often, but could happen if you are naked in a stranger's house on the first date um, with some sort of false sense of knowing them because you have chatted with them. Right.
0: right. But, not even naked. I mean, I would say I would I would never go to a non-public. I would again, not even get in the car in public because they could drive off. I mean, you could be in a park, very busy parking lot and feel a false sense of security because there's people around. But mm-hmm. how easy would it be for them to just drive off, lock the doors? You know what I mean? So yes, going to their house and even being dressed. But there's it's this progression of more dangerous, more vulnerable. And I mean, honestly, you have to shut it off much earlier in the progression to really maintain your safety. Don't have pictures of your kids with their school uniform with the name of their school and your profile. Like, just, you've got to approach it as, you have to earn my trust
1: because Mm -hmm. this is
0: literally open to anybody.
1: You're touching on something that makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. You are approaching this so intelligently. And you're kind of in a place, first of all, I've known you for many years and you are a bright aware person so you're not going to take uncalculated risks but i don't i don't know that everybody else sees the world with such open eyes plus we're just talking about standard dating apps there are all sorts of dating apps that serve kink yeah. fetishes paraphilia and there's a woman I know, and she told me about a dating app that she joined, and it was a kink site. And she talked about this moment, so I was like, oh, my God, how scary. I mean, not to kink shame, but I feel like it's one thing to be like, want to go on a date. And it's another thing that if in your profile you're describing kinky sex, I just feel like that ups the ante a little bit. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, she wasn't going to sleep with this person. She had no intention of sleeping with him, and she didn't. But she was at his house, and he started making her feel very uncomfortable And the way that she got herself out of there is acted crazier than him. So she's just like, yeah, it was brilliant. She started like singing and making big moves. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I think it's time to take you back to your car. But at that moment, she felt very threatened. She's like, "Uh uh-oh, this guy's going to hurt me. And she just outdid him by making him afraid.
0: I have a lot of compassion as somebody that is looking for a relationship and has had periods of like definitely deep loneliness. Mm -hmm. I have so much compassion for, you know, people are motivated by different things. And we tend to, and again, even me, will um, lower the safety bar. Mm -hmm. And it's a risk. And even thinking about as this ties to like raising a serial killer or raising kids that will be on a dating app, at what age would I feel comfortable with my boys? being on a dating app. You have to start thinking about things like that. And fortunately or unfortunately for them, they have to hear all my thoughts on all the things because I want them to know it's a possibility. And I feel like awareness and knowledge is how we can help people who might not,
1: it might not occur to them. This podcast is how not to raise a serial killer. Normally, we focus on what you can do if your child is exhibiting just like Any behavior that might unnerve you, more likely than not, it's not going to result in violence, but it can, and there are things you can do about it. But the takeaway here, I think, is different. It's how to, okay, first of all, this just is. We just know now that this is just another hunting ground. Dating apps are hunting ground, but dating apps are here to stay. Three of my best friends met their husbands, and they're so happily married on dating apps, and they're actually, I might argue, more compatible than those of my friends and colleagues who met their boyfriends now husbands in school because you know who you are and you select like you are selecting for what you like and you you can find common interests. Dating apps are here. They're here to stay, but how do we fortify our children and protect them from online in general? But dating apps, they're going to, it's gonna pop up quicker than we think. For us, it happened when we, you know, were no longer in school. It happened later in our lives. I mean, this one girl, one of these victims was in college when she joined the app. They're going to join mm. in high school in some occasion. And how do we support them in, in that activity, but arm them to see red flags, to protect themselves like you do? And by the way, this is something that the government is concerned about. I mean, the government posted some a bulletin about like what to do with that we're seeing this uptick in predation and predators looking for children. Here's the thing. We don't know as parents, we don't know a lot about the apps our kids are working on, but predators do. Yeah. So I walked in the room and, and my son is, he's got his Oculus on. I'm thinking Oculus, that would not big deal. It's just virtual reality. He's having a conversation with somebody. And I'm like, honey, we've talked about this. You don't know who it is. It could be a man who's a predator. Oh, no, no, no. They said that their name is so-and-so and they're mm-hmm. eight like me. I'm like, honey, you know, We had this joke, my girlfriend's daughter, we were telling her about not going into the car with a stranger, even if they say they have a puppy, what would you do? And she's like, go and see the puppy really quickly and then I'll run away. It's like they don't, they're so literal that I struggle to, I mean, you don't want to frighten them, but just because someone says I'm safe or I'm your age or shows you a picture, that's not necessarily who they are. Some of the kids and teens are coming into contact with most online predators, our chat rooms, social media, Roblox, animal. Minecraft. I would say video games. Yes. World of Warcraft. Yeah. And that's most of the victims are looking for kids and and striking kids who are 12 to 15. Yeah. 12 to 15. I mean that I read this and I felt sick to my stomach and the government is saying, hey, we need to target the game makers and what kind of safeguards are they putting in? Because the onus is on them too. Come on. If you're going to invite us to buy this product, you better keep my kid safe. It's a perfect place to groom and prey upon a child. And I suspect we are going to have lawsuits against these game makers for not putting protections into place and not monitoring. And some of them are. Some of them are. They're doing their own sting operations to see if they can catch predators. But I want to tell you about something that Sarasota County Police Department did. They had a sting operation called Operation Intercept V. And what they found is they actually ended up having 60 felony charges brought against men between the ages of 22 and 58 years old. And every single one of them were preying upon and planning dates, like meeting kids who were who they thought were between 12 and 14 years old. They, you know, who they ended up meeting is a freaking detective on the other I line. See. But these detectives are pretending that they're these boys from 12 to 14 years old or girls And these men set up meetings with them. They all went to jail. That's a lot for one police department to find. Wow! And each one of these, the 21 who were arrested, each one of them thought they were going to be having sex with a minor. That's what they set up for. Yeah, For a child who told them their age is between 12 and 14 or 15 years old. That's so incredibly unnerving to me. We can teach our kids. And I'm going to give all these points of what they say to teach our kids. But we're being outsmarted. We don't know the apps as well. We don't know the games as well. We don't know how to groom children, so we're not necessarily equipped with the language to tell the kids to watch out for, but these guys are. Yeah. And here, what's super shocking that some of these studies have found is that the teenagers themselves egg each other on. They'll dare each other to engage in inappropriate sex talk online. Sometimes they'll be like, yeah, we knew it could have been a predator, but it was fun. And then you also have that natural urge for teens to you know, they're stuck between being an adult and a kid. And so they're like, well, I want to feel grown up and important and sexy. And they enjoy the certain level of sexual talk online. They they like the attention. It, you know, and more often than not, when it comes to the teens, what they saw, and and I just mentioned one sting, but there are a ton of them. They're noticing that the teens are willingly participating in the relationship with the predator. Yeah. And they almost with zero equivocation kept it from their parents.
0: It's just a continuation of what we talked about with dating apps. People are starving for connection these days. They want to feel Mm -hmm. seen and understood. You have some stranger that's showing interest in you. And no matter if you're 13 and developing or you're 39 or you're 46, when you have a stranger that's showing up with an interest level that these days, I mean, how many times do you get a screen time report from your phone? It's like, you've been on your phone. Your screen time has been up 30%. You've been on for like 45 hours today. And you're like, what? There's not even 45 hours in a day. But somehow, so the more disconnected we are from people, the more someone shows up on your device and they want to connect with you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're going you're to engage. It's an invitation, again, to be seen and understood and known and appreciated for who you are, again, no matter
1: what the age is. I'm reading through the FBI list, and it's like, okay, come on now. Now, some of them, some of them are obvious. Like, you should look for things. Like, if, you, if your child's becoming secretive with the device, if they're hiding the screen, closing out of windows. And my kids do that because I'll be like, no more Roblox. And they come in, they close it out. Or my kids love YouTube. Save emails and suspicious IMs you find. Block the person sending it. Report the features to the website. Yes, yes, yes. Call the police. Fine. But really what they say with these like five tips to teach your kids with online predators. I mean, don't ever allow your teenager to use an unsupervised device. Yeah. Come on. Ridiculous. And also the genie's out of the bottle. So I can set parental controls, but I didn't know what I didn't know. So now if I go install Bark, which is a great program, and I'm not endorsed by them, but it's a great program that alerts you if anything's coming across any platform that looks suspicious to them. They have an algorithm they've developed, and they alert you if your child is engaging with anything or any, anything has been sent to them or if they're going to pages that aren't safe. But, I mean, how are you going to do that with your 13-year-old? Hey, come here, son. Yeah. You know, you can't go on YouTube. You can't do this. And well, I mean, even
0: that talk that I went to, the guys um, gave us a flyer, and it had pictures. And one of the things that it talked about was there's an app that looks like a, ca- a calculator, and it is used to hide. It's like a Trojan horse app. You can hide inappropriate things in there, right? Oh. So. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to check and see if he has this. Well, I left the flyer out. So then my son was like, well, why is the calculator bad? And I was like, ding it. Well, because apparently you can hide things. So I'm foiled. I, I either educated him that there's an app that he can use, <laughs> or then I started going, does he know this? Is he lying? But I would say that, you know, if you feel like, they may be hiding, they they put their phone away or their phone's always turned upside down. Same thing, you know, like if you've ever been in a relationship where you're suspecting the person of being unfaithful, like, are they hiding things? Are they leaving their phone facing down? Do they turn their screen off when you walk by? Any of those things, like, kind of be willing to get uncomfortable and say, yep. "What's what's happening? What's going on? Talk
1: to me. Yeah, it matters. And it's easier sometimes to pretend you didn't see it but when you realize that that's a portal to everybody on the planet, their little device. You, you think you're, they're home with you. They're safe. Yeah. They're not. They have a portal to everything the world has ever known about anything and any person living on the planet. There's access. And, I mean, its we used to be told, oh, don't stranger danger, don't talk to a stranger. Run to a police officer if somebody tries to kidnap you. First of all, that's bad advice. You run to a mom. Because how yeah. often is a police officer just standing there? You run to a parent. But second of all, child abductions are incredibly rare. What's not rare is predators grooming your children online. And we are woefully unequipped to handle this. I want to turn this around for a second just because we are How Not to Raise a Serial Killer. Those of you with with teens, because teens can be incredible predators. Those of you with teens who are behaving badly, who you have suspicions might be up to no good who you don't trust alone with young girls. I hate to say that. I hate to put that in your head, but it's not your fault necessarily that your child has some problems. And if I do nothing else with this podcast, I want to relieve some of that parental, every way that my child turns out is all because of my parenting, because we know that's not true. We know that's not true. And sometimes there's not much you can do, but you can do this. If your child has some behaviors that are questionable, it's really like, yeah, we'll try to protect... You know, the other parents will try to protect their kids from being prey, but you can too help and just make sure that if your, you know, 20 year old son in your basement is online all the time. And, you know, you don't really if they're living in your house and you think that they might be up to something, dig into it a bit. And I'm not necessarily saying that they're going to ask your child over and, you know, rape them, but they can still be damaging them with just the content of the conversations. There is a a woman now, I met her at an event, but when she was 13, she fell prey to an online predator. And she told me this story. I get told stories all the time, but looking at her beautiful face, and she was only, gosh, maybe 18 or 19 when she was telling me the story. She was a very innocent girl. She came from a great home, very loving family. And she started engaging online with somebody who she thought was a teenager like herself, and he started saying things like, "Oh, you know what they normally say: your parents don't understand you. I just want to meet you for a second. I'm only 15, whatever, 16." And she excused herself from dinner one night and pretended she went upstairs, but really she goes out the front door and gets into his car. And he is not a young boy; he's a man who belongs to this whole group that of, of S and M, dark web. They have this like they all watch each other, they all talk about it, they have like these live streams, and he live streams her as his sexual slave. And that that this is a group of people who they're on there on this chat together talking about sexual slavery and BDSM and all of that. Bear that in mind that this is the audience. And he takes this 13-year-old and he keeps her as a sex slave for multiple days. And he intended to kill her. And the moral conscience of one of these other creeps kicked in and he's like that's a kid. That's a kid and you're actually doing it. And they called think god, they called the FBI. The FBI was able to triangulate figure out where he was and they saved this beautiful girl. And she's just like any other innocent girl. There was nothing about her. Nothing she was doing was risky. She was at home. Her parents had no clue. No clue. I mean, how fucking scary is that? Yeah,
0: it's horrifying.
1: One thing that kind of jumped out at me, and I mentioned it briefly in the beginning, is that of the acquaintance rapes, which are the vast majority of rapes, those that happened via a dating app facilitated situation they were much more violent than the other rapes, rapes violent no matter what. But these that were through the dating apps had very, very distinct, prominent injuries to breasts, genitalia, a ton of strangulation. I have a theory, but I want to hear what you think. I suspect it's because of the acquaintance rapes. They're not connected through a friend or a coworker, that maybe the dating app provides more anonymity and. A place where you kind of can fake who you are anyway, you can have a fake life, a fake job like you do yeah. you do it to to protect yourself, but you know there's a there's a i don't know like maybe a, an additional degree of separation do you have any any reason you could think that these rapes would be more violent than the other acquaintance rapes
0: I mean, I agree with you. The only thing that comes to me is that I can see how jaded um and uh, angry some of some people's profiles are just by the nature mm. of being on a dating app. It's probably like pouring gasoline on a fire. And now mm. you've been rejected and you've been unmatched and you've been ignored and you've been pushed so that when you do find somebody, you're ready to take out all your rage against women or women on dating apps or whatever whatever category your victim falls into and you're just like unloading on that particular person.
1: That's an interesting perspective. It's it's a specific group of people who might feel more rejected than other groups. Like if you just meet through friends of friends, you're not necessarily, you know, this isn't necessarily a systemic kind of rejection situations. But I mean, you can be an incel, one of these involuntary celibate men who do form these groups and these online chats about how they are, I mean, they can become incredibly violent and how they are owed the sex. And it's the women's job to give them sex. And They call them Beckys and Chads, and the Beckys are the girls they want, and Chads are the guys who get the girls and fuck both of them. And they have become violent. I mean, the UCSB killer, the Santa Barbara killer, he he was an incel, and he was just, like, punishing these cute girls who had said no to him for his entire life. And there's nothing to prevent an incel from being on an online dating site.
0: Yeah. Okay. So something else for me to worry
1: about. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Listen, I'm just – you just have to send – I'm just going to go with you. I'm just gonna be like yes. serial killer, not a serial killer, killer <laughs> yes. not a killer. Yes, please. And is he have another? Is, is his grandmother still in his profile picture? Definitely a serial killer. <laughs> I mean, I think just the
0: mental gymnastics
1: of being in the
0: position of loving parent or person looking for a relationship, in the sense of having your guard up enough to be safe, but also down enough to invite in mm. a, co- a connection with your child or a connection with someone on an app that you're looking for it's, it's hard and it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can't go in thinking everyone's a serial killer. You won't find love or you won't, you know, connect with your child, but you also can't go in thinking everybody has the best intentions. And so really cultivating a either process or trust in yourself where when you see red flags,
1: you write them down. You kind of have to protect yourself and be a little bit you know, less forthcoming with your details if you're dealing in, in something that has some, you know, potential danger and a lot of anonymity to it because there is no oversight. Nobody's monitoring to make sure that what you're putting on your page is accurate, your profile is accurate, you know. And by the way, if somebody's done their time for a crime and they're out, there's nothing to prevent them from going online. A yeah. convicted rapist, a convicted murderer who's done their time, I, I promise you they're online. And I think that there is going to be some sort of culpability assigned to the developers and people running it because it is ending up being a place where people are being harmed. Thank you, Rachel. I love having you on because you approach things with humor because you're a comedian. You understand podcasting because you have a podcast. You certainly understand online dating and you're an attorney. You bring all of that to the table and I I do appreciate um, you taking the time to come on again. This has been How Not to Raise a Serial Killer and we will see you next time. How Not to Raise a Serial Killer is a Cloud 10 media production, executive produced by me, Dr. Michelle Ward, and Sim Sarna. Our editor is Emily Crane. Our music was created by Josh Cook with artwork provided by Brian Stefanik. Follow us on Instagram at How Not to Raise a Serial Killer and on TikTok and Twitter at Hentrask. That's at H-N T-R-A-S-K. If you like our show, Do me a favor and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. After all, if more people know about the show, maybe fewer kids will turn into serial killers. Who knows? Seeking the truth never gets old.